Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name is Margaret Taylor and in this series I'll be investigating how the legal system in the UK is evolving, how COVID-19 has accelerated some developments already in the pipeline and how the opportunity exists for Scotland and the rest of the UK to improve access to justice and create a world-class modern legal system. In this episode, we talk about how tech, and specifically how different forms of electronic signing, have allowed progress to be made throughout the pandemic and whether this is another change that is here to stay. To give us both the corporate and private client perspectives, I'm joined by Martin Sloan, a partner at Brody specialising in IP, tech and data, and Angela McCulloch, a partner who specialises in private client work and acts for trustees, executors, individuals and families. Martin and Angela, hello. 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 Martin, you, you obviously work in the corporate sphere um, and businesses have been challenged a, a fair bit by the pandemic. Could you tell us a little bit about how technology has helped us solve some of those problems um, and looking specifically about uh, at how electronic signatures have helped them deal with the, the, the vast quantities of documents that need to be signed off during a transaction? Yes, I mean, electronic signatures have been around for, for many, many years. Um, been used for signing documents and certainly for some of my clients who are technology businesses you know they, they've been using online signing platforms to sign documents for probably the best part of 10 years now and things like uh, DocuSign and, and Adobe Sign have been around for, for a long time but the, the COVID-19 pandemic and the challenges that it has presented have really I suppose um, brought the benefits of electronic signing to many other businesses that previously would just have signed things in wet ink and I think as lawyers, we are kind of in you know, the middle of transactions and having to facilitate signing and clearly trying to sign in wet ink has just not been possible or very difficult over the last the last few months. So it, it's really been a bit of a game changer in terms of speeding up you know, the signing process. It, it's very easy to use. Um, the platforms are, are secure and provide you a lot of a lot of evidence around who who is signed. And I think one of the most interesting things is, you know, I, I'd speak to my, my corporate colleagues who are perhaps less familiar with electronic signing than than in, in our team. And yeah, they, having initially had some sort of reservations, have been using our transactions and actually with clients, you know, the clients have had some some scepticism, but then having gone through the process and signed documents electronically, they've then said, this is great. Can we use it on all our transactions? So I think that there'll be a bit of a, you know, I'd, this is certainly one of the things that will be, will be here to stay in terms of uh, how uh, you know, attitudes to adopting technology have changed. Mm. And how, how does it actually work in practice? I mean, do, do, is it a case of signing something and you're scanning that or how, how does it actually work? So uh, the term electronic signatures covers everything from typing your name into email or uh, scanning your, your wetting signature and, and inserting it into a Word document or, or whatever it may be, um, right through to sort of highly secure um electronic signing that uses smart cards and cryptography. What most people are talking about when they're signing documents electronically is using one of the well-known platforms, and I mentioned uh, DocuSign and Adobe Sign as being two of the, the big players in this market. And the way they work is that you, you upload your document to, to the platform, so it's a website, you upload the document to that, you say who you want to sign, so you type in their email addresses, you say where they want you want them to sign in the document, whether you need anyone to initial that or review it or do some sort of sign off. There's great opportunities for workflow if you're doing lots of commercial contracts where you need approval. And then what happens is that the platform will send out an email to each person in your preferred order of signing. If they receive an email, they might need to enter a pin code or something just to confirm it's actually them that, that's signing it. It takes you to a website, you click I sign uh, and that's it. 
So it's a very, very quick process. Now, what happens behind the scenes is that the platform will collect information on signing. So it will record the email address for the person who was asked to sign. It will record the date and time of signing. It will record the, the IP address of the device that's used. So your your laptop or your iPad or your or your, you know, your your phone or whatever you use. And it will also record um, you know, other information around that. And then you get what's called a certificate of um, signing at the end of it, which lists all that information. And that's the really important bit in terms of actually knowing who signed the document and when. So that's part of your, your evidence, if you like, if you ever need to uh, prove you're signed, if, if there's a, a challenge. And in that sense, does that make it more secure than wet signatures? Because obviously signatures can be forged. It sounds like there, there are far more checks and balances here. Yeah, well, whenever anyone sort of asks me, you know, questions about electronic signing and whether it's secure or not, I always say to them, well, when, when did you last check the wetting signature in a document? Because <laughs> I, I think we always take these things for granted and mm -hmm. it's very rare, you know, in, in some situations, yes, they will be checked and you'll have sample signatures. But more often than not, people just assume that the wetting signature in a document is genuine. So, yeah, I mean, I think these signing platforms do actually provide more security. Now, now what uh, Adobe and... DocuSign don't do is they don't verify the identity of the person who's actually yeah. signed. So they don't necessarily stand behind that person. But what they're saying is, look, here's all the stuff we collected, and all of this together means we've got a pretty good idea who signed it. You know, so if, if you keep your email inbox secure, then and you only you have access to it, then only you should be able to sign that. Clearly, if you have people who have delegated permissions, so someone else in the organisation can access that inbox, then yes, it potentially could be misused. But even in that situation, you know, usually if, if that happens and the document's been signed by someone in that organisation, you will likely be able to rely upon it because parties will start, start acting and start start performing. There are more secure types of electronic signature which are, are less common um, where the, the signature provider will actually verify your identity first. So they'll, they'll want to see your passport and do all sorts of ID checks. So all um, Scottish solicitors have a smart card issued by the Law Society of Scotland which has one of those electronic signatures on it. It's called a qualified electronic signature. And they've been very difficult to get hold of because of that identity check requirement. You know, it, it's not something you can just decide to get um, one day if you have to go and visit someone and hand over your passport. But what has happened in the last couple of years is that there are now people who will provide these services and do the verification over a, a Skype call or, or a video call and you hold up your passport and then you get that same standard of signature which is, I say, the, the top tier, the, the most secure type. Um, and the, the provider of that will then stand behind it in terms of someone who, who relies upon it. And that, I think, is what we'll see over the coming years, is that becoming more and more common as the process to get it shifts from having to go and visit someone and hand over your passport to doing a five-minute call through Skype uh, and then getting that signature. Now, you mentioned colleagues in the corporate department. How suitable is this for a large transaction, which are very document heavy? Everything needs to be signed, every page of huge piles of documents. Is it suitable for something like that? Yeah, it can be. So, again, one of the advantages is if you've got, you know, 10, 15, 20 documents that need signed, it's actually much quicker to do it this way mm -hmm. because you put mm -hmm. all these documents into this, what's called a document envelope and then someone can just sign them all very quickly. Um, and if you've got parties who are in different places around the world um, or different people need to sign different ones, actually the whole process speeds up because everyone mm -hmm. can do this pretty much instantaneously and it then becomes much quicker. You know, th there are certain documents that you can't sign electronically under Scots law at the moment. 
or you can only use a qualified electronic signature, as, as I mentioned before. So there are difficulties in relation to documents dealing with the transfer of land, mm-hmm. certain unilateral uh, undertakings, so things like a personal guarantee you, you can't sign. And then also, and Angela will speak about more about this, but um, wills and testamentary writings as well, where that's not, not currently possible. But for the most part, for most documents, it's absolutely fine. What I always say to clients if they're looking to sign electronically, you know, it's just to think about the risk assessment. So if you have a document where the parties aren't necessarily going to act on it straight away, and it might be several years down the line. So I gave the example of a, a guarantee. You know, with that, you might not necessarily want to have some ambiguity or someone saying, well, I never signed this. And you may be more comfortable with something that is what we call self-proving under Scots law. So it's, it's a presumed to be signed by the person that signed it. But even then, you could still use a qualified electronic signature I mentioned before, which gives that mm-hmm. same same status. Mm-hmm. Now, Angela, obviously, private client, you're, you're dealing with very different kinds of clients. What, what kind of impact has this had on individuals? And given that they can't come in to see you at the moment because of the, the pandemic, does it create an opportunity for them to carry on doing things like drafting wills, buying houses, that kind of thing? It does. The biggest challenge for clients dealing with their personal affairs has really been how to get documents witnessed. At the moment, the current rules require a will to be signed in wet ink and it also needs to be witnessed. So traditionally, that was always involving face-to-face meetings, either whether with a solicitor or with a neighbour or a friend. Um, Mm -hmm. And certainly in the early stages of the pandemic, that became very difficult to, to manage. The Law Society of Scotland introduced new guidance towards the end of March, which confirmed that wills could be signed by video calls. So essentially what we would have was solicitors using platforms like Teams in order to set up a virtual Mm -hmm. meeting with their client. Um, The client would have a paper copy of the will in front of them and they would essentially show that they hadn't signed it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the solicitor would watch the client sign the will over video conferencing. That would then come back to us and we would complete the testing clause at that stage and then you would have a valid will. So that has certainly helped in terms of making things much easier and really allowing them to continue whilst Mm -hmm. face-to-face meetings aren't the norm. I think from our experience, we've seen that clients have actually found this to be really, really helpful. It's actually Mm -hmm. much quicker um, to arrange a Teams call or one of the other platforms um, and maybe take 15 minutes, half an hour to sort of go through things with your solicitor rather than trying to find time in everyone's diaries to go into the office, sit down and meet with them um, or have them come out um, to visit at home. Mm -hmm. So we've certainly seen that it has made things easier for for clients and it certainly meant that wills have been completed more quickly mm-hmm. quite often that can sit on the to-do list for quite some time however the law society of scotland has indicated that the changes that they um permitted in march are temporary so we, we don't yet know how long that's likely to stay in effect for i think we've been using that for seven months now and I think it's proving to be very popular and it's proving to be effective so we would certainly hope that that's something that will be here to stay. I suppose looking forward um, as as Martin said we don't have the ability to have wills signed digitally yet Mm -hmm. and I think for clients 
for some, I think that opportunity would be very, very attractive. And I think the more sort of commercial clients that sort of Martin and his teams and corporate colleagues would be dealing with who are used to signing documents electronically would be very keen for that. Whereas when you've maybe got um, clients who are going to sign their will once, they'd maybe be much happier with a wet ink signature. So I think we'll need the, the flexibility to cover both in the future. And are there other areas of private client where you're using this? We are using that for powers of attorney at the moment as well, mm-hmm. um, because again, um, they're probably even more cumbersome to sign than wills to the extent that they need to be witnessed, but they also need to be certified by either a doctor or a mm-hmm. solicitor who's confirming that the person making the power of attorney understands the nature and extent of it at the time. Again, the the guidance that the Law Society of Scotland had issued allowed the certification for powers of attorney to be done by video call as well. And again, that, that is certainly something that we have been doing a lot of in the past seven months. Um, I suppose given the, the nature of the current crisis, a lot of people have been thinking about this. So in terms yeah. of the number of instructions coming in, we, ha- we have seen a lot more clients wanting to put wills and powers of attorney in place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's obviously been forced by necessity and depending on what the rules are going to be, it may or may not become the norm. But do you think there's an appetite for it to become just a kind of everyday part of practice from now on? I think there certainly is. Um, I mean, the Scottish government have already highlighted that they are very keen to capitalise on the fact that more people are wanting to put wills in place. Um, and you're already seeing local authorities are also very keen for individuals to put powers of attorney in place because if there isn't a power of attorney in place and there isn't anyone else that can act, the local authority ends up having to apply for a guardianship order. So mm-hmm. again, that's something that is is very expensive. So you can see why the, the government would be keen to have people taking responsibility for this. And I think when you're looking at it and you're wanting if you want people to do something, you need to make it as easy as possible for them. So giving this option gives people more flexibility in terms of engaging with solicitors. Um, I think everybody's working a bit more flexibly just now. So there tends to be more flexibility around when you can actually have those calls, whether it's a wee bit earlier in the morning or a wee bit later in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's it's easier to fit it into, into the, the day Mm. So we've looked at the positives of electronic signatures. There will be some downsides. I think, Angela, probably particularly in private client where your clients do appreciate face-to-face contact. Um, Could you maybe talk about what some of the downsides are if this does become very much incorporated into practice? I think the biggest challenge is for clients who are not comfortable with technology. Mm. I mean, we will deal with clients from a huge range of backgrounds. You've got people who are being very proactive thinking about it and in their 20s making wills but equally we've got clients who are in their 80s and 90s making wills and for some of them they're doing incredibly well with the technology but for others they're really not very comfortable with it and I think in in that respect what we want to always ensure is that there's choice and there's flexibility for clients so that they're able to choose the most appropriate way for them to engage with their solicitor mm. to, to get these documents put in place. And I suppose even thinking about that is sort of looking forward to whether or not we could have electronically signed wills. 
and the the primary legislation allowing for that is in place but we need the Scottish government to bring in regulations to allow that mm-hmm. to, to actually happen again they seem to be looking at this in more detail and there's different things that would need to be considered I think as Martin highlighted if you're using the qualified electronic signature that's incredibly secure you know it's the person who's signing it and the ID checks have been carried out. Um, But there's other areas that you would need to think about, which are much more pragmatic, like where would the will be signed? Um, Mm -hmm. If you've got a digital document, then there's more than one principal copy. So what happens if the client wants to revoke that will and put a new one in place? How do you make sure that all of the digital copies Mm -hmm. um, have been deleted but I think they're, they're all things that could be overcome. Mm. We just need to think about how best to do that. And Martin, what about in the corporate side? Are there any downsides? Well, I, I suppose that the one that people often mention is, um, you know, particularly on M&A transactions, you'll have a, uh, a completion meeting where everyone gets together in, in the offices of one one law firm and everyone signs that. And I guess if things are signed electronically, you you lose that part of the deal. The, the relief of getting there, the, you know, the... I suppose the, the exhilaration that goes with it, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, you know, quite often with these things, yeah, the, by the time the final point has been agreed, it's two or three in the morning or whatever, <laughs> and that's fine if the signatory is one of the people doing the negotiations. Mm-hmm. But if your signatory is actually, you know, a director or, or someone who is not sort of part of the core deal negotiation team, you know, they're, they're probably sitting around waiting to sign, doing nothing else. So actually, if they can sign from home, do they get the okay to do it? Mm-hmm. It probably makes everyone a bit happier. So, you know, I, I'm sure there will be some people will uh, you know feel the loss of that that completion meeting and, and you know some of the stuff that goes with that. But probably on on balance, there are benefits to everyone in terms of flexibility. You know, we're we're all working much more agilely the, these days and uh, flexibly. So, being able to allow people to sign from home at a time that suits them, it's got to be a good thing. You know, rather than just hanging around and in their office or a lawyer's office until until you get to that point and then having to you know even even if you are signing a wedding you've then got to find a scanner and you know scan something in and then send it across and you hear all sorts of stories of people used to have you travel around the country and you know, they ran out of ink on their printer or whatever or yeah. the scanner and they, they couldn't do something you know it's just so many things go wrong with that process yeah. so if it's all done electronically then then i think the the benefits outweigh the, the downsides mm. Angela, private client work is its not just focused in Scotland. A lot of your clients will have interests across the whole of the UK. Now, we've spoken about some of the rules that the Law Society of Scotland has in place. Are there differences between England and Wales and Scotland when it comes to electronic signatures? I would say probably more so in relation to just how wills are signed between the two jurisdictions. Um, so in England and Wales, for a will to be valid, it needs to have been signed in the presence of two witnesses and they didn't have the flexibility to move to video calling the way that we did initially. The Westminster government actually had to pass legislation which went through in July to essentially allow wills to have been signed in England and Wales by video call and that was backdated to the 31st of January 2020. That legislation is only in place until the 31st of January 2022. So if the ability to witness by video call is going to stay in England and Wales, it's going to need further legislation from the Westminster government um, to facilitate that. 
the Ministry of Justice has also issued guidance around that and their position right from the start had been that witnessing by video calls should really be the last resort in England and Wales. They'd come up with a number of helpful suggestions on how you might be witnessing, such as through a window or an open door of a house or a car, witnessing from a corridor into a room with the different room with the door open, um, or sort of sitting outside in the garden and and I think all of them are probably not quite as easy when you're trying to then coordinate essentially three people to be in the same place at once because in England and Wales you do need two witnesses um, who can't be related to you and who are not benefiting under the wills. So in that respect, there are still logistical challenges. I, th- I think looking forward, the government has indicated that they're going to look at that and they're also going to be looking at how electronic signatures might work. The Law Commission had has certainly looked at that point and prepared a paper on that. So I guess we'll wait and see what the outcome of that is as to whether or not um, that's going to be something that does become available in England and Wales and what time frame that might be. And given that a lot of your clients are based across the UK and have interests across the UK. Has, has the difference in the rules created any kind of difficulties over the past few months or is it something you've been able to adapt to? I think we have been able to adapt to it. And I think what we've also found is that clients have been adapting as well. They, they've been very keen to do what they need to do in order to get the documents signed. Um, so I think with the flexibility on both sides, we have been able to work with what the rules are um, across the board. And Martin, uh, looking at the corporate world again, so so many deals are international now. Are there any differences between the rules internationally and between Scotland? And has that created any hurdles or challenges for clients? I suppose there's a couple of things. So in one of the things is in Scotland, we've had specific legislation dealing with electronic signatures for six years now. There are not many countries mm-hmm. in the world that have that, but there, we do have specific rules here. And these were largely driven by changes to the, the conveyancing process back in, in 2012. If you look in, say, England, actually, there's no specific legislation for signing uh, most you know, commercial contracts in, in the corporate sort of world. And that kind of led initially to people saying, oh, we're not sure whether you can sign a deed electronically because a deed has to be you know, witnessed and how would you mm-hmm. deal, do with that? To then the, the Law Commission for England and Wales coming out and saying, yeah, actually it's fine to, to sign a deed electronically. We don't see any issue with that. Though there are quest, questions over how you deal with witnessing. And so one of the things that the Law Commission said is you can't have a witness uh, witness by way of video call in the same way that Angela's talking about for mm-hmm. Wales and in Scotland. And so the, there's a, a project in England and Wales looking at whether you should be able to be able to witness by, by video. I, I find the whole concept of witnessing by video a bit odd when you've got electronic signature technology, yeah. because the whole point of electronic signatures and having that system there is it performs the same rule as, mm-hmm. as the witness. It's the thing that watches you sign. So it feels like you know, perhaps that they're going down a bit of a, a rabbit hole with that one. More generally, I think the thing to be aware of is that if you have a document that needs to be registered in another country. So say, for example, you're transferring a patent or a trademark, mm-hmm. then you're only going to be able to register that document if the registry in that country can accept it. And so mm-hmm. while the laws applying to the, the execution of a document are generally the the laws governing that contract, it's important, I think, to look at where your document is going to be used and relied upon to then know whether there might be an issue. So for example, going back to my example of a, of a patent transfer, if you, if you know that the registry in a particular country 
is unable or, or won't accept an electronically signed document, then you won't want to be signing it electronically. So it's important to do mm -hmm. those checks beforehand and not just assume that because, say, you put Scots law or English law and it's the governing law, that, that it will all be fine. So there's, mm -hmm. there's certainly a bit of diligence to be done if you're dealing dealing internationally just to check you know, what, what the position is. Mm -hmm. Now, given that, that the technology is here, that digital signatures have pretty much become the norm and it looks like they'll continue to be used because they'll have to be for, for some months yet. What, what would the next logical development in technology be? Uh, Martin first, look, looking at the, the corporate sphere. So I, I mentioned earlier on, you know, the, the um, qualified electronic signatures and how there's been a real change in those over the last couple of years that mm -hmm. it is now possible to get you know your, your ID verified over a call in 15 minutes and then sign mm -hmm. a document and I think we will see that that become far more common because it gives everyone a lot more certainty as to who it is that's actually signed the document so that I think you know, will come in and that, that won't be driven by what the law is that would just be driven by clients assessing risk and particularly if you have mm -hmm. a type of document where you know there's you want to be absolutely sure that it's been signed by that person and it's not going to be open to challenge. You know, I think we will see people use that a lot more. The other change that I think will come in Scotland is at the moment the the registries where you record you know, documents registering the transfer of land um, and certain other types of documents can't currently accept electronically signed documents. And I think we will see you know, an increasing demand. Actually, they, they do change the systems to allow that. So I, you know, I expect in the next couple of years that will that will change, and that will then mean that the remaining documents that can't can't currently be signed electronically for for essentially technical reasons rather than legal reasons mm -hmm. that that will that will fall away, and it will just become the norm for for pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And Angela, what about on the private client side? I mean, I think over the the next few years we will see the wet ink signatures being witnessed by video calling to become much more normal, and mm -hmm. we would hope that the the temporary guidance that law societies issued there becomes permanent. But I also think, particularly in light of what Martin said around the qualified electronic signatures and the security that they offer, that that will provide a, a platform in which electronic signatures can be used to execute wills. Mm -hmm. And I think even looking further ahead, if, we're, if we go down that route, then I do think at the end of the day, we will also end up with some form of wills register. I think there would be a fair bit of work to be done in terms of what that might look like and how that would work. But if we're going to have electronically signed wills, we'd need to make sure there was one sort of safe place mm -hmm. for them all to be kept and that they could be um, retrieved at the point that they're needed. And who, who would take responsibility for that? Where, where might that be? I, th I think that that opens um, a lot of questions um, <laughs> and I, I suspect that the Scottish Government would be the starting point in terms of consulting on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's already... But would that require legislation? I suspect it probably would um, because uh -huh. if you had an optional register, it probably wouldn't work as well as a compulsory yes. one. Um, we do have a register for powers of attorney and that's maintained by the Office of the Public Guardian. Mm -hmm. So you suspect that that model would certainly be one that could be looked at. I suppose that the flip side of that is the cost implications of doing so. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, I feel there's an awful lot of questions around how that would work. But I do think with um, proper consideration on both the policy side and the practical side, you would be able to get a solution that was going to work to enable electronic signatures to be used for wills. Martin, Angela, thank you both very much.
You have been listening to Podcasts by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments impacting the legal sector and what those mean for organisations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcasts by Brodies on all the main platforms. For more information and insights, visit www.brodies.com.